0: Every year, more than 44,000 Americans die by suicide. On average, there are 121 suicides a day. That's according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I'm George Baldarchi, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, we're focusing on efforts to prevent suicide. Joining me on the phone are Dr. Doreen Marshall. She's vice president of programs for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And Larry Sprung. He's a volunteer with the AFSP's Long Island chapter and serves in the organization's National Board of Directors. Dr. Marshall, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. Larry, thanks so much as well. My pleasure. So, Dr. Marshall, let me start with you. What do you wish more people understood about suicide?
1: I wish more people understood that suicide most often is connected to a mental health concern and that one of our ways to help prevent suicide is by trying to address mental health issues before they get to a point where someone is thinking about suicide.
0: Larry, let me ask you the same question. What do you wish more people understood about suicide?
2: I, I think that uh, one of the key components is if people could understand uh, the shoes that the folks that are contemplating suicide, what they're walking in. You know, it's something that when somebody's ill with a degenerative disease cancer or something of that nature, it's very easily seen what their ailments may be. Whereas this, it's not so easily seen. And I think if people had a better understanding about that, uh, people would be more willing to talk about it. uh, And it would add to uh, preventive measures as well.
0: Now, Larry, your family has had personal experience with suicide, right?
2: Yes, we lost my brother-in-law, Keith Milano, back in uh, 2004 to suicide. He had uh, suffered from bipolar disorder, uh, which was his underlying illness. And uh, essentially, since that date, our family as a whole has made a concerted effort to, uh, to raise awareness, to raise funds uh, about suicide, and uh, he was really the impetus for
0: that. Dr. Marshall, who is at greatest risk of suicide?
1: That's a great question. As I mentioned, you know, certainly we want to pay attention to people who are struggling uh, with mental health concerns, but we lose, uh, the most people we lose by suicide are men. So we tend to lose men um, who are older adults and also middle-aged men to suicide, although women and teenagers are at greater risk for suicide attempts. Versus suicide death.
0: Can the risk for suicide be inherited?
1: It's not so much inherited, although we understand that the risk for mental health issues um, can be inherited. For example, depression often runs in families, um, as does anxiety and some of the other illnesses that we uh, connect to suicide. So. That is um, something we've been able to show is inherited, but suicide, as you might guess, is a combination of both biological factors, um, psychological factors, and also environmental factors. Things that are maybe in a person's history, such as trauma, or um, you know something like um, having experienced a loss. Those kinds of things can impact a person's suicide risk.
0: I understand that 22 veterans a day take their own lives. 22, that seems like a very high number.
1: We are losing veterans to suicide, and we're trying, many of us that study suicide are trying to understand that. Certainly, um, it's a number of factors, um, including that most veterans are men, um, which is a, a group that we're losing um, across all Uh, demographics, whether veterans or civilians. So we're trying to understand that, but yes, veterans um, are at higher risk for suicide.
0: Are you saying that gay and lesbian youth are also at higher risk?
1: We know that they are at higher risk for suicide attempts. Um, Youth tend to um, make more suicide attempts um, than adults. And so one of the things that we uh, encourage parents and others to pay a lot of attention to is making sure that um, you're addressing mental health concerns early, but also that you're making sure that your young person doesn't have access to things like a firearm or things that are much more likely to result in someone's death should they attempt suicide.
0: What kinds of questions are appropriate to ask someone if you're concerned about their mental health?
1: just start with a, how are you doing? Um, Are you doing okay? And to ask, you know, or to comment on what you've been noticing. So you may say something, for example, like, I've been noticing you've been kind of staying to yourself and isolating from others, or you haven't been doing the things that we normally see you doing, um, or you seem more sad or more angry than usual. And then I think it's important to ask directly. And you might just say, you know, sometimes when people are feeling this way, feeling overwhelmed, they may have thoughts of suicide I'm wondering if you've ever had those kind of thoughts. Asking the question is not going to put the idea in someone's head, and I think that's what many people are afraid of. Um, more often, asking the question helps open up the conversation with somebody who's been thinking about suicide. They get that you understand and you're noticing and that you're there to help.
0: So are those among the warning signs, people losing interest in what they usually like to do, things like that?
1: Yes, um, as well as saying things like, you know, I don't see a future, I wish I wasn't here anymore, I wish I was dead, or anything that kind of indicates that the person might be thinking about ending their life or not being around. Um, We pay attention to that. Certainly, we watch things like changes in behavior. So somebody who's normally um, an outgoing person might suddenly be to themselves, or you might see a change in drinking patterns, change in sleeping patterns. Um, substance use; those sorts of things are important to pay attention to in someone you love. If you see changes in behavior, that's really when you should be asking.
0: Larry, did your brother-in-law exhibit any warning signs?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, he had uh, he had uh, several issues along the way. Uh, you know, being bipolar, he took a trip down to Atlantic City, won some money, and you know, went spending it right away. Um, he also, uh, I remember vividly in my first house, we were uh, digging a hole to put a, uh, plant some new trees. And, and he looked at me and he said, Larry, I, you know, I'm running out of time. And I said, what do you mean, Keith? I said, well, what do you mean you're running out of time? He said, you know, I said, you're young, you're single. You're living at home. You don't have a lot of responsibilities. You know, your only responsibility is getting better. And, and you know, he just he would look at me and say, you know, it feels like I have 104 fever and I'm fight, fighting the flu every day. Um, so there was definitely a struggle that he was going through, um, and there were signs that we tried in every way to get him the help that he needed.
0: How much guilt falls upon a family when someone takes their own life like that, Larry?
2: Listen, I'm sure there is you know, guilt along the way, and I, I, you know, I can only speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for anybody else in my family. I was one of the last people um, to speak with him the night before he died by suicide. He called our house, and he was speaking erratically, and we tried to uh, to calm him down. And you know, you could always walk yourself through those scenarios, what it, you know, the woulda, the coulda, and shouldas. But I, you know, for our family. You know, I could speak for myself. I know that we did, in my view, we did everything we could for Keith. And now it's our mission to help everybody else and all those others that uh, that may be out there.
0: Why is that so important to you? Some people would just, you know, go back to their lives, not think about it or try to push past it.
2: Well, you know, it's it's something that I've had a direct effect on in in my own community because ever since what happened with my brother-in-law, I've become somewhat of a resource. And because I speak about uh, his suicide so openly and candidly, uh, people uh, rely on me and and have used me as a resource. And I can tell you for for a fact that we've had a, an impact on several young people's lives and getting them the help that they need. And and I, you know, I would like to think that we were a vital uh, and instrumental in them being alive and with us today. Because some people just don't know the the uh, the, the resources where to get them. They don't know that they can get help. And uh, I think that they have to know and and, get, and be available to the idea that there is help out there if you're suffering.
0: Dr. Marshall, how important is it to have these types of open conversations about suicide?
1: Oh, I think it's vital. And I think the only way, one of the only ways we're going to be able to reduce the suicide rate is really by opening up these conversations. I think many people suffer in silence um, when they're having thoughts of suicide. They think if I share this with someone, they're going to think something, you know, really wrong with me, or they may believe there's no help out there. And we know that when people are able to just open up the conversation and then also make a commitment to help the person connect to some help, that these kind of interventions are, can really be life-changing for people. Um, I also wanted to mention that along with Larry was saying, that I think those who have experienced a suicide loss in their own families are really among the people we look to to help guide other families who have been through this experience um, and, and to show them that it's it's there's hope out there that they can get through such an awful experience happening to their family.
0: What is your best advice, doctor, to a family who experiences suicide?
1: Well, I would say for a family who experiences a suicide loss, that it's important um, to reach out. There is a whole community of people um, out there in the world. We know millions of people have been impacted by suicide loss, and there are support groups, Our organization, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, has programs and different things for suicide loss survivors to help them kind of navigate the grief process after they've had a family loss by suicide. Um, We have a special day, November 18th, that is our International Survivor of Suicide Loss Day where they can connect to programming all around the country that supports uh, family and friends of those who have died by suicide.
0: How large of a stigma surrounds suicide still today?
1: Still stigma, but it's changing. Um, certainly, people are more open to talking about mental health concerns than ever before. And I think organizations like ours and people like Larry, who are speaking openly about their experience, um, both of their loved ones dying by suicide, but also people spe- speaking about their own struggles with mental health issues and and with suicide, has, has really changed the conversation nationally. And I think it's just going to keep getting more and more open as time goes on.
0: Larry, what are among the more common questions that you get from people?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think probably
2: one of the, uh, you know, the biggest questions I get is, you know, where can we get help if we need it? And, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of great organizations out there, and there's a lot of good resources out there. And it, there's sometimes they're hard to navigate and, and hard to find, you know, where to... Uh, to, to go and to get the help that uh, folks need. And if I could just comment on the, the previous question about the stigma, I, I would like to say if you would have asked me at the time that my brother-in-law died that we would hear a song on the radio by a well-known artist, you know, that is basically the suicide prevention hotline number, yeah. I would have said you're crazy.
0: Yeah, that's Rapper Logic. That song is by the Rapper Logic. I've been on a low, I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. I feel like my life ain't mine Who can relate I think Ooh. that
2: that in itself really shows you and us how far that this uh, stigma has come and you know how much it's dissipated over the last 10 plus years
0: dr. Marshall what impact do you think that song has had in getting people to step forward for help
1: I think it has had an impact, and, you know, some reports from the National uh, Lifeline do indicate that calls are up, um, which means more people are reaching out. Um, The number is the 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K number, and that song, having that as the title, I think it's incredibly brilliant, because it is a song about someone who is struggling, and so for those who are listening to it and relating to the song, to see that telephone number and the title makes it really accessible to them.
0: Yeah, I think the video is equally as powerful, no question about that. Absolutely. I've been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine I want you to be alive I want you to be alive What is Project 2025, Dr. Marshall?
1: Project 2025 is an initiative of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to reduce the suicide rate 20% by the year 2025. So we, as an organization, have done an analysis where we focused on some areas that, if, if things were to change, um, or if we were to be able to impact these areas, that it would have a it would help reduce the suicide rate by this amount. So, 20% by 2025, we lose roughly 43,000 people annually to suicide. So our goal is to reduce that number 20% um, over the next. Um, we started in 2015, so over that 10-year period.
0: So what are among the critical areas that you're focusing on there?
1: Well, there's four critical areas, and one of the areas is um, looking at, at the role of firearms um, in terms of suicide since um, about half of the deaths are firearm uh, suicide. So we have a partnership with the National Shooting Sports Foundation to work on educating firearm owners um, about safe storage and other things that can help reduce suicide risk. Another area is emergency departments. We know that many people um, come through an emergency department uh, when they've made a suicide attempt, but also um, when they're thinking about suicide. So ways to help catch those folks before um, they may end up taking their lives by suicide. Um, another area is large healthcare systems, so improving kind of the care of people who uh, seek help for suicide within healthcare systems. And then the fourth area is criminal justice. We do lose a number of people um, in our jails and, and in um, the criminal justice system to suicide. So again, it's another way of trying to catch folks before. Um, they they go down the path of taking their lives.
0: What about schools? Should schools be doing more to address the topic of suicide?
1: The, yes, and the great news is that over the last few years, schools have really been doing more um, than, than many other groups to reduce suicide. So many states now have... Uh, basically legislation where teachers have to get so many hours of training in suicide prevention so that they understand the risk and warning signs in their students. And that's, like Larry said, if you had brought that up 10 years ago, I don't think anyone would have believed that could have happened. But now, um, over more than half of the states in the United States have that legislation where teachers are required to learn about suicide prevention.
0: What mistakes do you think the media makes in reporting suicide?
1: I think, media, again, I think the media gets better and better at reporting suicide in that I think there's an awareness of the impact of language and of sensationalized headlines, but I think we could always do better. Um, certainly, you know, anytime a story is run on suicide, we also want to run um, or have resources for help. So that someone who's reading that story or hearing that story or watching it and, and thinking this sounds like me also has a next step in terms of reaching out for help. But they Things like Language Matter, so we do have some media guidelines that are accessible on our website, AFSP.org, where folks that are writing or, or filming stories can look to to make sure that they're getting the language and the sensitivity right in a way that doesn't increase risk, but also that's sensitive for people who have been impacted by suicide in any way.
0: Can you give me an example of where you heard language that was wrong and write that language for us?
1: Sure. So um, sometimes you will hear people use the term committed suicide, and as a field, we really move away from the term committed. It has a a different connotation, like committed a crime. So we prefer using the term died by suicide, uh, just like you would describe if someone died from another cause. Um, Another example is when sometimes when people are referring to suicide attempts, they may use the terms failed attempt or successful attempt. And we really try and stay away from that kind of judgment language. Someone has either made a suicide attempt or, they, or they've died by suicide. So we try and stay away from language that um, may impose judgment or imply judgment on suicide.
0: What's your best advice, doctor, for a family who's been touched by suicide to talk to children about it? How do you talk to a child about suicide?
1: So I think in the event that a family has been um, touched by a suicide death, the the best approach is um, to give an age appropriate explanation of what's happened. Um, children start to understand death and the finality of death around the age, you know, between seven and nine, typically. Um, so you can talk to someone that age about a person dying by suicide, and often we might talk about it in a way where the person had an illness that made them think they didn't want to live anymore, so they did something to make their body stop working. That kind of language uh, a younger child would understand, but I think the more important thing is to not lie or create a story about it, because at some point, The child may find out the truth, and I think it's better for children to understand the truth from people that they care about, people that they can ask questions to, and and it also sets up for future conversations when the child is older so that they know that this is something the family can talk about and that I can ask questions as I get older and it won't be met with um, misinformation. I think it also sends a really clear message about how we talk about mental health, So just like we talk about people dying of physical causes from other things, cancer or other physical illnesses, it it shows that we can talk about mental health in the same way.
0: Is there such a thing as rational suicide?
1: I think that's a really good question that a lot of people might like to debate. I mean, I think what we generally think about suicide is that a person who's struggling with a mental health concern, usually, and is is probably equally overwhelmed with stressors in their life. So the combination of kind of what's happening in the moment, plus the fact that they're having a hard time or not thinking as clearly as usual, is is usually what contributes to suicide, that and having the means to, to take their own life. Um, But whether that's rational or not, I I think really it, it almost doesn't matter from the perspective that I think if we're to prevent suicide, like Larry said earlier, we really just need to try and understand the thinking of the person who's struggling. Because to them, suicide makes sense. It's a way to end the pain that they're in. And so trying to understand that, I think, is a better strategy for trying to prevent it.
0: Larry, what would you say is the greatest thing that you've learned through all of this and your work in this area of suicide prevention? I
2: think the greatest thing that I've learned is the number of sheer people that are affected by suicide and, and mental health. Uh, because I cannot, I, suicide was not something that affected me prior to my brother in law. I I maybe knew one or two people and knew of the Word, but never really experienced it firsthand by any stretch of the imagination. And From the moment my brother-in-law passed away, the sheer number of people that I knew that were close to me that came up to me and said, you know, I never told you, but so-and-so in my family, or this one, or that one. And it really opened my eyes to say, number one, I cannot believe how many people are affected by mental illness and suicide. It's staggering. And then the second thing that I learned was I never realized and or comprehended that you know having a mental health problem could result in suicide. You know, I, I never, it, it really never occurred to me. It was something that I felt, you know, you go, you get help, you get treatment, and you get better somehow. And those two things are, it were probably the most eye-opening things, you know, uh, in experiencing what my brother-in-law went through and then ultimately in his death, and which led me to do a lot of the work in raising awareness that we do now.
0: Yeah, talk to me more about the work that you're doing there on Long Island with the Long Island chapter.
2: Yeah, so I mean, we have a couple of main events. We have a, a Long Island Walk, which, ju- which which just passed in October, uh, where we had several thousand walkers in uh, in jo- at Jones Beach, and uh, we hope to raise in excess of uh, four hundred thousand uh, dollars. We have the uh, Suicide Survivor Day in uh, in November, and then uh, in addition to that, uh, we also started. Uh, my wife and I started the Keith. Memorial Fund, in my brother-in-law's memory, where uh, we on our own uh, raise funds for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention.
0: Dr. Marshall, when it comes to social media, has that made the issue any worse? Because especially with young people, they get bullied. We hear about those instances of bullying online. Has that contributed to the problem of suicide? You
1: know, social media is has probably made the issue of suicide more complicated in some ways. Uh, we know that many people reach out for help through social media. So in some ways, it's probably facilitated that connection to help. For example, someone might post that they're struggling, which might um, prompt people to reach out to them in their life. But you're right, there there are other things that complicate it, such as... Um, We get concerned, particularly among young people, for the risk of contagion when you hear that a suicide has been posted on social media or um, posted in a way that could influence people who are vulnerable. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, but, you know, again, I think one of the things that it does help to do is open up the conversation about mental health. It's just making sure that the social media posts are responsible is a challenge that we have. So I I usually advise parents and others to keep an eye on the social media of someone that they may believe is at risk, um, just because people often will put out messages uh, that they're struggling or need help in that format.
0: What would you say are among the greatest challenges to suicide prevention?
1: Well, I think you've alluded, alluded to one of them, that the idea that public perceptions around suicide, um, people may believe that it's not preventable or there may still be stigma. And so I think having the, the public understand that everyone has a role in suicide prevention, that you don't need to be a clinician or a trained psychologist to help someone, that really just starting with a caring conversation. How are you doing? Um, You seem overwhelmed. Sometimes when people are overwhelmed, they have thoughts of suicide. Are are you being affected by that? Are you having those thoughts? Those kinds of simple statements really can open up a dialogue that helps to save lives. And we have a training program um, that's for the public called Talk Saves Lives. That's basically a short presentation on suicide risk, and what any person can do to help someone who's struggling. And so I I think the biggest challenge is helping people believe that they have a role in preventing suicide, that it's everybody's business, and that people can get involved simply by just starting with a caring conversation.
0: We're heading into the holiday season. We often hear stories of people getting depressed around the holidays. Are the holidays a trigger?
1: Holidays can be a trigger for some, certainly in terms of depression, but uh, believe it or not, the suicide rate is actually lower during the holiday season, which is, is a public, uh, it's a misperception that uh, people often die around the holidays. Actually, we have more deaths in the springtime than we do around the holiday season, um, But I do think if you're worried about someone, the holidays are are a great opportunity to reach out and to check in with people because we often know that for some people the holidays can um, bring up memories or can be um, triggers around things that they've lost. And so I think checking in with someone who may be struggling is a great – the holidays provide a good opportunity to do that.
0: Larry talked about the fund that he has helped to establish. So let me ask you about funding. Is there enough funding – for this cause at this moment?
1: Well, I think certainly there can always be more. We're, we're really still trying to understand suicide from a scientific um, perspective, and one of the things we do at AFSP is we fund research. Um, we are the largest private funder of suicide prevention research uh, in the country. Uh, so, there is a need for more research for us to understand better interventions and how to support, better support families who've had a loved one um, lost to suicide. And many of the, the funds have come from folks like Larry and his family who, being affected by suicide, want to make a difference and um, form memorials or form scholarships or participate in AFSP events to help raise money for this problem. All right, we have
0: about another minute left. Larry, any parting words?
1: My only parting
2: words are again, if you're affected, if you're feeling thoughts, if you're seeing somebody in your family, you know, it's the old see something, say something. If it doesn't feel right, have a conversation, bring it out on the open because it could end up saving somebody's life. And don't leave it in the darkness, bring it out.
0: Dr. Marshall?
1: I'd say the same thing that if you're listening to this program and someone has popped into your mind that you're wondering about, if they've had thoughts of suicide, ask them. Chances are pretty good that they've had those thoughts. And you can just start by saying, I heard a radio program and I've been thinking about you and I wanted to ask you something.
0: Dr. Marshall, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Larry Sprung, thank you. Thank you very much. Dr. Doreen Marshall is Vice President of Programs for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And Larry Sprung is a volunteer with the AFSP's Long Island chapter. He also serves in the organization's National Board of Directors. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarkey My thanks to producer Caroline Rotante, and thank you so much for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV-HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music Discovery. Starts here.